demonstrating for us goodness, patience, loving kindness. Uh, Father, you are truly good, and, and thank you, God, that you desire to be known, uh, not just to your children and not just deeply by your children, but to the world. We thank you for the word of God, and we pray that you bless it to our understanding. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So somebody said, you should, you should tell everybody where you're going. Keep it before the people. So I've decided to do that. This is where we're going. This is where we are. We got a long ways to go, but we're going to get there. But if you want to look and say, where in the world are we going? What in the world are we doing? And what can I anticipate? Normally, everybody likes what can I anticipate because then that's when you know church is over. But it's not like that. This is going to go for a long time. Okay? So if you're interested, this is actually a really great chart. Uh, that's been printed up to look at. So what was your homework? Ask the question to you, who is God? Let's hear some of your, the responses that you got. What did, we, what did we hear? What did we get as a feedback? We heard, well, God is my father. That's a really good one. He's the creator of heaven and earth. That's an excellent one. See, it's good for us to sit here and think about what we know about God and ask the question, is it true or not? What else did we get? What, what's that? Somebody said, I don't know. Isn't that interesting? God created everything we see, and somebody can actually say, I can't tell you the first thing about him. That's alarming. What does that also say? There's an open door to share who he is, right? See, that's the thing. You ask questions, it'll get you in trouble sometimes, but it's okay. It's open door. What else did we hear? Anybody else? What's that? Savior, the man up there. Please tell me you went. <laughs> Waiting for some guy to fall on you, maybe. He's where? It's what's that? I told, you. told him there was no wrong answer. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> In fact, let's go back and listen to the sermon. I did not say that. There are a lot of wrong answers about who God is. Our Savior and our Father? Anybody got God is my homeboy? Anybody hear that one? No, there's shirts out there that actually say that. Just want to make sure. Anything else? Anybody else? Anybody get anything that's just off the wall? Like you were like, what God are you talking about? Anybody? Anybody? Uh, I heard one time on TV, uh, I believe that there is a God and that he helps all my favorite sports teams. Now, some of you think that way. Don't act like it's appalling. <laughs> I know you do. You come in with your Packer stuff, your Bear stuff, something like that. So there you go. Okay. Okay. History. Yes. And uh, he wrote up a book that was designed to control us. I love this answer. God is just a concoction of a bunch of guys who got together and wrote up a book in order to control us. That's the government. That's not God. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? Now, here's a, here's, a, here's a good way to, how would you handle something like that? Where are the errors in this book? 
can't find them. Does it sound like just some guys sit around and wrote it? I mean, even the smartest guys in the world have problems. Interesting. What it tells me is, is they have insufficient evidence. A lot of people want to give an answer about who God is by how they feel about God. Our feelings are the most fickle things in the world. If we ran everything off of our feelings, how would our marriages go? <laughs> you okay? <laughs> that was Susan, by the way, right here, which I don't know what that says about this, but it was right here. Mm. I thought underneath her breath said, you better preach that sermon. So it's interesting to think about. A lot of times our feelings dictate how we feel. What shows, get this, if, if we're very back and forth about everything, it shows how much more desperately we need something solid and immovable. We need something that does not change because we change at a moment's notice, right? We do. So here's the thing. If you got your, your uh, insert from your handout, some foundational truths that we looked at. Number one, the fact that this that we hold in our hands, the Bible, is God's self-revelation, how he wants to be known, what he wants you and me to know about him. Now, I noticed that all the papers about God as sovereign were gone yesterday after church, so I printed more and put out there on the, on the uh, credenza? Welcome Center? What is that? Welcome Center, okay. That's what that is. Credenza is a real good Scrabble word. Uh, but that's what that is. And then I've also got another one for today that it looks like it's almost gone. There's only two left, but it, we're talking about angels, the angelic, supernatural, spiritual world, and, and just some very novel things that seems like no one wants to touch in the scriptures uh, about that. So if, if for some reason you're not able to get that and you want it, let me know, and I'll print up more copies for next Sunday. Um, the second thing also we saw last week, God also reveals himself as the only eternal sovereign creator. The only eternal, always been, sovereign, has rulership, creator. Now, why is that important? Here's the reason why, and forgive me for this small little tangent. If you read through what is known commonly as pagan origin myths, you may be, how many people have heard of Enuma Elish? Anybody ever heard of that document? It's an ancient document. You can look it up online. You can actually read some of it for, for free because it's so old, but essentially what you have is this God rose up against this God, and then this one grabbed this God by the throat and pulled his head off and used his guts to make the sky, and then all of a sudden this guy's leg became the earth, and it's all about one God dominating another God in order to be the superior one of that time. Is that how the Bible starts? No. And what's interesting about pagan origin myths like that is you always find they always have to start with something that is already existing. See, what makes God and the Bible unique is it essentially starts with nothing. Now, what is Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. At a starting point in time, here is what God did. If he created the heavens and the earth, and if that encompasses everything that we know in existence, that means that before that, it did not exist. Everybody with me? Okay, good. So let's take our Bibles. Who has a Bible? Who, or who doesn't have a Bible? Let me say that. Who does not have a Bible so we can get them? Everybody's starting to bring their Bibles. I like it. 
Good, good. If you don't need, if you don't have a Bible and you need one, raise your hand. We'll make sure and get you one. There's a lot of them back there. Wanna, thank you. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for being honest. Now, I'm going to give you this Bible and you can keep it. How's that? Okay, <laughs> sure. You sound real jazzed about having a copy of God's Word. That's good. So, and everybody notice I'm on the outer perimeter again. So there you go. Walking around. So let's turn to Psalm 32, or forgive me, 33. The great thing about psalms is they are lyrics. They are song lyrics. We all like song lyrics. Have you ever noticed how we can often remember a lot of song lyrics, but for some reason scripture eludes us? Maybe in the psalms is where we need to start memorizing scripture because we can kind of put it to a beat or something in our head. So look at verse 8. And I want to show you something very interesting. Let all the earth what? Fear the Lord. What's that remind you of? The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of knowledge. Notice that. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Some translations say wisdom. And fools despise wisdom and instruction. So notice, this can piggyback on that. We get an idea. Let all the earth fear the Lord. And this is what is known, just technical nerdy stuff. This is what is known as a synonymous parallelism. In other words, when you're reading through the Psalms, you will have a statement. And then underneath, the statement is going to say pretty much the exact th same thrust of the idea, but it's going to word it differently so that you can get a better mental grasp on it. Does that make sense? So watch. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Does everybody see how they're parallel? And they're essentially saying the same thing, but it's got two different ways that it's communicating. Everybody got that? Okay, now here's what's interesting. Notice when it says, let all the world stand in awe of him. Does everybody see that the author of the Psalms is giving you an idea of what he means by fear? What does he mean by fear? Doing what? Standing in awe, having awesome reverence for God. That's how synonymous parallelisms work. So notice, here's the reason why. Verse nine, for he what? He spoke. He spoke and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. How does God create? Speaking. Do you know of anything else? Anything. Whether you've been reading National Geographic or the History Channel or whatever you're into. Does anybody else create by speaking? No one. In fact, everything that we have was somehow made, was it not? Anybody like Walmart furniture? No. Why? Because it's made terrible. That's the reason why. Because somebody took a lot of wood shavings that were left over from real furniture and spread some glue on them and tried to fit them in a mold and bake them in a pan for a while. This is your shelf. I only say that because I lost furniture whenever we moved on the way here. My friend's like, uh, I broke your CD tower. I'm like, it's Walmart furniture, man. Of course you broke it. I could have sneezed and broke it. It's okay. All it is is a bunch of termites holding hands anyway, so it's terrible. Walmart furniture is awful, but here's the fact. Did it have to be made? Did it come from something previous? Quality regardless. Even when you see fine furniture, nice furniture, man, there's nothing like solid oak furniture, is there? That's good. I see everybody's like, mmm, it's like I brought up barbecue or something. Mmm, solid oak furniture. There's nothing like real made furniture. 
And when you tap it, when you pick it up or something, you're like, I could put a truck on this and it would still stand. Made solid. But here's the thing, it had to be made, didn't it? It came from something previous. Somebody had to take the time to put it through an expertise process to bring it to where it is. Did God start with a bunch of Legos and say, I think I'm going to make the earth now? No, isn't it amazing? There was absolutely zero. And when he speaks, things don't just happen. Things come to be. Things that were not are when God speaks. Does everybody see that? Man, that is so important for us to grasp because he is so different from the way anybody else, man, woman, regardless, that has tried to put their intellect down on paper to formulate a creation narrative. It's always something was already there, something was already there. Now, how do we know that? Modern day, Big Bang Theory, right? Everything was down as small as the size of a period on a page of paper, all energy and matter contained in that, and then it exploded. How come nobody ever explains where the period came from? How come nobody ever explains how what we already had there got there? How did that get there? You ask Richard Dawkins, he actually admits, must have been aliens. Okay, smart dude. Where did the aliens come from, right? And just keep carrying it all the way back. See, this is what makes the God of the Bible unique. He is the uncaused cause. He's eternal. Vastly different. Everybody see how that works? Our God is great. He is. So notice, your first blank here, you only have one blank. Everybody seemed to really like that. <laughs> only Elohim creates by speaking. Ex nihilo. That's actually Latin, I believe. Ex, is that Latin, Paul? Is that Latin, ex nihilo? It is Latin. Okay, good. See, Paul's here for my language check. Uh, out of nothing. Nothing. Out of nothing creation. Everything we know is made up of parts that make a whole, but not so with God. He simply spoke, and what was not was. He needs nothing. In creation, his omnipotence, his eternality, and his aseity are on display. He shows himself by speaking, and it happens. It happens. There's power in what he has to say. And here's the, and just let's think about this for a second. Does anybody know why? When God speaks, it's power. Does anybody know? There's a reason. When he speaks, there's power. Anybody know? Because it's true. That's the only reason why. In fact, if you go to look at when God speaks, when does God speak? When does Jesus speak? If you were just to do a study on that through the scriptures, beginning to end, you would find that there are instances where there's power in his name. How about Jesus? We're here to get that Jesus of Nazareth guy, right? And what does he say? He steps forward when they come to arrest him and he says, I am. And what happens to them? They all fall down. It was like some kind of invisible bowling tournament just took place. What happened there? How about when Jesus rips through the clouds and comes back to the earth in Revelation 19? It says a two-edged sword proceeds out of his mouth with which to smite the nations. Do you realize that he speaks truth and people's heads start popping off? I mean, that's what we're talking about. It's bloody. But there's something in the force of when he talks, truth matters. When he speaks, what is right is communicated. Everybody with me? Man, powerful, powerful stuff. Let's turn over to the right, Psalm 103. And again, this is going to be the last day that, that I'm giving you guys. Let's turn here, let's turn here, let's turn here. I really don't like to do that, but I am trying to set the platform for where we're launching off next week.
And next week's going to be real interesting, so make sure that you're here. I won't tell you, teaser. Psalm 103, verse 19. Starting in verse 19, Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven. Okay? Where is God's throne? In heaven. It's consistent all throughout Scripture. But notice it says here, and his, what does your translation say? Sovereignty. I have the New King James Version. And his kingdom rules overall. Do you think that they're trying to tell us what they believe sovereignty means when they translated this from Hebrew into English? Kingdom, sovereignty, his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, who are compliant to what he says, who are obedient when he speaks, heeding the voice of his word. Now pause for a second. If the angels who do his word and respond when he speaks and are obedient in that manner, if they're the ones who are blessed, doesn't this let us know that there are some angels who didn't obey his word? Yeah, notice that. The blessing is in response, and notice this isn't talking about us. That This is a fact that's true for us. But notice that the blessing is in response to hearing his word and doing what he says. That's where blessing is found. Common theme all throughout scripture. Notice it applies to angels as it does to us. He says here, verse 21, Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. Let me tell you something that helped me out early on. The word of God is the will of God. Have you ever talked to those people? They're usually like, you know, 19, 20. They've just fallen in love, and you're like, whatever, right? And they say, I just want to know what God's will is. Wouldn't it be great if we could all just go? Right? Or have you ever heard those people, I just want God to speak to me. You ever heard that one? They're really looking for like God to come in and just whack them with like, hello. How great, right? If you want to hear God speak, read his word. If you want to hear him audibly, read it out loud. That's how it goes. <laughs> right? It doesn't get any simpler than that. So notice here, the angels, the angels are his servants. Those who do his will are blessed. They receive blessing. Get this. God is a God that is looking for opportunities to bless. That's who he is. And that's what he wants to do. Angels are his creation and the direction of his blessing is towards his creation. Does everybody see that? We haven't even got to people yet. We're just dealing with angels. He wants to bless the angels for being obedient. How about let's move to the next one. This is a good one. Turn back before Psalms, Job 38. Anybody ever read through Job all the way? Yeah. His friends are crazy, aren't they? You know, sometimes I'm reading this and I step back. And I'm like, what are y'all thinking? You know? But I think this is interesting because this is the greatest counseling session ever recorded in, verse, in chapter 38. Notice that God doesn't invite Job to come in, sit on a couch. He doesn't get out a clipboard. He doesn't say, now how does that make you feel? And tap his lip with a pen. Notice he doesn't do that. This is the greatest counseling session. I tell you this, anytime that we are having questions about what in the world God's doing in our life, Job 38 would help us a lot. So let's just start in verse 1. 
Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? You're talking and you don't know what you're talking about. If his character is put in doubt, you've automatically crossed over the line into ignorance. It says here, now prepare yourself like a man. Does anybody have anything different there? This is like, you shouldn't talk about this in church. Gird up your loins like a man. What does that mean? Get ready, because I'm going to punch you. Now, it's one thing for somebody to come up and punch you, and you're not, wait- you're not expecting it, and you go, Whoo! right, because you weren't waiting for it. It's another thing when they hit you, and you go, oh, that felt good. And you try to, like, play it off like a man, right? But notice, God's going to come in, and he's going to hit you, and you're going to, you better get ready for it. And notice how God is going to come in and set thinking straight. Remember, the greatest enemy is unbelief. The greatest enemy is unbelief. Look what he says, verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Notice what God's telling us about himself. He says here, tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? Was Job anywhere around when all this stuff happened? No. Notice what God is showing him. He's saying, I am eternal. And you are finite. And you exist within the realm that I have created. And you don't know everything. But here's the interesting point I want you to see since we're moving into angels. Verse 7, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for glory. Everybody see morning stars, sons of God? We talked about synonymous parallelisms. Notice that's two ways of describing the same beings. Now, if you're familiar with Job, you're familiar with, and the sons of God came and they presented themselves to the Lord. And if you remember, and Satan was among them. Everybody remember that? And you get into chapter 2, verse 2. The sons of God came and they presented themselves. Notice that these sons of God bring presentation unto the most high God, unto Elohim. Why is that? Because he is the creator and they are the creatures. Everybody get this. It's a hierarchy. No other way to look at it. And Satan ends up being amongst them. We're not going to focus on him today. He's not really prominent in the story yet. We're going to touch on him. But the idea here is that morning stars... Sons of God. If you notice in the little notes I have there for you, Morning Stars has this idea of luminance that is on. Angels having brightness. They radiate in some way. In fact, if you study ancient Near Eastern Hebrew cosmology, okay, put all that together, say that five times fast, and and whenever they would look out at the sky and they would see the stars placed in the sky, a lot of them actually held the belief that those were angels who had been fixed in place. That's how they viewed them back then. So when you see this designation of morning stars, it's because of the ideas at that time. Remember, Job is the oldest record that we have going on in the Bible. Notice also on your notes here, we've got sons of God. Again, used over and over. It's used of angels. And this designation is also used of some men. But as always, the context in which you are reading determines the meaning here. And we can see one thing about this. Look at verse 7 again. When the morning stars sang together... And all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now pause. Where is this in time and history? 
cre at creation. So here's what you find out. Let's put this together. What you find out is, is that the angels were rejoicing over God's act in creation before human beings were ever made on the earth. Obviously, they were made after Genesis 1-1, right? Or I'm sorry, they were, made they were made after the very beginning of, in the beginning, God stopped there. Angels are made at some point. He created the heavens and the earth, probably in line with when the heavens were created. We see when this goes on. In other words, angels are not eternal. They don't have the same attributes of God. They rely upon God to exist. They don't have perfect power. They don't have perfect knowledge. They are not eternal. They actually had a beginning unlike God. This is important for us to understand because of the prominence they play throughout Scripture. Now, why are we talking about this before we move any further? Here's the reason why. Be honest. Are you scared of the spiritual realm? And I'm not just talking about the good spiritual realm. I'm talking about crazy, evil, weird things too. Are you scared? Okay, some of us, yes. Some of us are scared because we don't want to be labeled as charismatics, okay? That's only if you got all of your theology from one chapter in Acts, so you don't have to worry about that, okay? Some of us are scared to death because our world has become such a naturalist worldview. We only think according to nature and what we can see. If I can see it, smell it, taste it, touch it, hear it, those are the only things that exist. And so anything else is just strange to me, and we're scared to death to be labeled as wackos or fanatics, or you really believe that? Some people are like, oh, well, I've got my guardian angel that I pray to all the time. That's weird. Angels actually rebuke people for any kind of worship or allegiance given to them. They are fellow servants with us under the Most High God. But here's what's scary about this. We cannot afford to deny what the Bible has to say about their existence. See, we like God because he is loving. I like that. He's kind. I like that. God is spirit, John 4, 24. I can handle that, right? But then when we start talking about how it gets real and intrusive in our lives, we start getting nervous. We start to feel the sweat. I don't want to, you know, we distract our mind so we don't have to think about it. Now, I'm going to say this, and understand I'm not making a medical diagnosis at all. Go with the example, and don't judge me, okay? Please. If you've got something that is bothering you mentally, and you go to the doctor for that, and let's say it's just thoughts you can't get rid of, maybe you're experiencing panic, anxiety, those types of things, those are real issues people deal with. Understand, I'm not downplaying or saying that they're false. But have we ever concluded that maybe the diagnosis needed to be spiritual warfare? The fact that the enemy is constantly trying to attack us to keep us from being effective unto God? Because see, here's the danger. You go into one of these situations, and what's the answer? This is what you have, and this is what we will prescribe you in order for it to be different. We throw medicine at a spiritual problem. Are you ever going to get solved by throwing medicine at a spiritual problem? No, because the problem's spiritual. It's not physical. See, here's the problem that we deal with today, and understand I'm not a medical doctor. But sometimes when we have the spiritual reality hounding us, and trust me, Satan was all over me this past week, I promise you. In fact, I felt weird because Jim, where you at? Jim showed up, and he's wandering through the halls, and I'm going round and round with some, it wasn't a telemarketer, but it's like a phone, press one, say this, I can understand complete sense. I'm like, no, you can't. What are you... If anybody ever dealt with those automated telephone things? Okay, so you know that you can become fleshly and carnal very quickly, right? You're not exactly praising the Lord when you're on the phone with these people. And so, 
I'm just going to tell you, I'm a sinner, okay? I'm going to, does everybody know I'm going to let you down at some point? <laughs> Praise God. Let the, let the focus be on the message, not the messenger. Jim walks by and he waves at me and I'm sitting here on the phone and I go like this. because I can't take it anymore, man. I mean, it's just driving me crazy. Yes, I'm a sinner. I need help. And I did confess it. Okay, I did. I promise. Uh, but man, they drive me crazy. But it wasn't just, is my struggle against flesh and blood? No, it's against principalities and powers. Evil forces of darkness trying to mess me up and get me out of fellowship with God so I will no longer be effective in serving him. That's where the battle ends up being. Now, am I saying that for every situation? Do sometimes people need to be taking medicine? Absolutely. Some of that stuff's a chemical imbalance. Only a professional can do that. But what I'm saying is, is that professionals would do well to have a fear of God because that's the beginning of knowledge so that they're not just diagnosing 50% of the problem. Everybody see that? Material and immaterial. The spiritual world sometimes scares us. But here's the thing. It is real, and we have to know about it so that we know how to address and deal with it. Everybody with me? Okay, good, good. Anybody hate me? Okay, good. Okay, great. Just Jim. Sorry, Jim. I apologized to him three times for that already. So, uh, so let's turn over to Colossians. New Testament, right? That brings a smile on our face. We're like, yeah, New Testament. I know where that's at. Colossians chapter 1. There's a lot of things here. I don't want to get bogged down. Yes, I would love to talk all day long about how Jesus Christ is a creator and all things are made through him. I would love that. That's not the focus of what we're looking at, though. Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 16. For by him, that's Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Everybody see how that automatically wants to bring us back to the Genesis 1-1 mentality. Heaven and earth, heaven and earth, heaven and earth. This is the realms in which the spiritual, the supernatural, and the natural, the material, live in. Heaven and earth, heaven and earth. Now notice, all things were created by him. Now, trivia question, did God create all these things good? Are we sure? I didn't get a lot of responses. He did. In fact, don't we see over and we're going to look at this next week. Doesn't he say it was good? It was good? It was good? It was good? Yeah. So we have a constant moral declaration by God over and over about the goodness of his creation. Now, here's, here's another thing. Did some of the angels rebel? Oh, absolutely. Yes, they did. Absolutely. Notice they, didn't, they weren't created evil. That's important to understand. And here's the reason why that's important is because the Gnostics at this time, this is what Colossians was written against was the Gnostics. They have some kind of mystical beliefs here and they're very abstract and uh, ethereal and strange or whatever. They actually believe that the angels were the creator of all things and Jesus was actually a creation of the angels. Everybody's got their theology backwards. So when, when Paul is making a statement like this, it is really packing more of a punch than what we might realize at first. Notice, heaven and earth, visible and invisible. He's covering the 100% spectrum. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Stop. Thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. These are actually rankings of angels. Paul is giving us a revelation into the spiritual realm that there is a hierarchy of how they are set up. Some of them have certain responsibilities. If you write in your Bible, or I've got it here in your notes, you can write next to it, Ephesians 6.12. That will also help you as well, seeing the grand scope of the spiritual realm. But you find these things mentioned over and over again. So what do we see? We see that angels were present whenever God created all things, that they actually praised God. Their response to God creating is worship. 
but they also have certain rankings that are going on. And the fact of their origin of creation all comes back to the Trinity. Everybody with me? Okay, good, good. Now, let's turn over our papers and let's turn to Ezekiel 28 and just touch on it for a second. Again, this is a passage that is often attributed to referring to Satan. I don't doubt that at all, but I think that it's hard to decipher. It's hard to interpret because it goes back and forth between Satan and the king of Tyre. There are some things about it that don't seem to apply to Satan. If there is, we have a lot to learn. Ezekiel 28. And I just want to read the the first... uh, uh, in fact, everybody see where uh, 11 starts, 12 starts, son of man, take up the lamentation of the king of Tyre, say to him, thus says the Lord God. Here's what God says about Satan. Now watch this. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now here's, here's the thing. That shouldn't surprise us. We often think of Satan as the, as the, the red jumpsuit, deviled ham guy, Right? with the pitchfork and the, and the tail coming out and the horns, he's kind of like, <laughs> like we think he talks like that or laughs like that. It's kind of like the Joker and, and, and the deviled ham guy put together is how we think of that. No? I'm the only person that thinks of him like that? Okay, well, my thinking is wrong. But here's the thing. When we talk about that he had wisdom, that he's beautiful, that shouldn't surprise us because God created him. And that's how God creates things. He's an artist as well as a creator. He makes it beautiful. But here's the interesting thing. Verse 13 you were in Eden, the garden of God. There is your time and location where Satan was existing. Does it say anything about him falling yet? Say anything about him sinning yet? Interesting. Notice this. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, emerald with gold. And this translation is debatable between some of the manuscripts. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes, that's why some people, in the New King James, that's why some people believe that he was actually the, the, the angel that was over music at that time. Others of you will have like fittings or something like that. It says here, was prepared for you on the day you were created. Notice he was a created being, so he's a creature. You were an anointed cherub who covers, who screens, who overshadows people. Notice what God says, I established you. I gave you the high-ranking position that you have. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. Some people believe that the fiery stones there are actually other angels. You walked in their midst as if you had authority over them. And there was another description of other angels. It says here, you were perfect in your ways. Notice that. You were perfect in your ways. From the day you were created... Till iniquity was found where? In you. Do angels have the capacity to sin? They do. They do. And here's the thing. Where did the sin originate? In them. Notice it doesn't originate from God. Notice that God doesn't take a sin card and feed into their little computer and they process it and start sinning. Sin is something that is here within and manifest itself out so notice where satan was at this time again i'm throwing little novel things at you that a lot of people don't normally want to talk about so that it gets you thinking about this now this psalm messes a lot of people up real bad okay so yay let's turn to it turn back to the left psalm 82 
This is what we'll finish with here. And it's 10 o'clock. I'm doing better, right? Somebody just got saved from that one. Psalm 82. And even if you want to write in your margin, this psalm messes a lot of people up. You can do that. And I encourage you, if you haven't, if, if you haven't grabbed a hold of a copy of it, and, and this particular aspect of angels and the supernatural intrigues you, and you go, oh my gosh, I've never heard this before. I've never thought about this before. I didn't realize the reality of this before. I've written some things in the paper out there that will expand this more, Deuteronomy, those types of things. You find this is a theme all throughout. So let's start at the beginning, verse 1. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. Now, this translation's probably varied up, so somebody give me a different translation of what you have. Raise your hand real quick so we don't have a lot of mumbling. What do you have? Go ahead. God takes his stand in his own congregation. What else we got? Different translation. What translation was that? New American Standard. What do you got? God presides in the great assembly. Does anybody have the ESV? Anybody have that? What do you have? Please read it out loud. God has taken his place in the divine council. Does everybody see this idea of God approaching an assembly of beings? Everybody see this? Okay, so keep that in your mind and watch what happens here. He judges among thee. Gods. Hold on. I thought there's only one God. Are there many gods? No. How many people think yes? Okay. There's no God but Yahweh. Only one person. Do you guys realize that there are more gods than just Yahweh? Yahweh is the creator of all things. But there is an assembly, a divine council of spiritual beings, which he presides and judges over which he sometimes confers and counsels with regarding the existence of all history. See, Psalm will mess you up. Now watch this. That's just you bringing your interpretation. I promise it's not. Watch this. Verse two, verse 2, here's what God says to them. How long will you judge unjustly? Notice that these gods are judges. Now remember, little g gods, they're creations, not the creator. They're all answerable to Yahweh God. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Are these little g gods doing a good job wherever they're at judging? No. In fact, Yahweh is calling them to task according to his standard of righteousness because they know better and they're not doing it. Everybody see that? Okay, now watch this. Verse 3, here's what he tells them. Here is his exhortation. Defend the poor and fatherless, which tells you that's not what they're doing. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. Are these all good things? These are all good things that we should do. How many of you wish that our world leaders would act this way? Any of you know why our world leaders don't act this way? 
because these little g-gods preside over them is the reason why. When we read in Ezekiel and you talk about, this says to the king of Tyre, who do you think runs the king of Tyre? Who was he talking to? Satan. See, everybody's getting weird now. I don't like supernatural. I'm going home. I'm telling you. It's there and we have to deal with it and we have to be knowledgeable of it. Whenever we see world leaders do things and we're like, what is wrong with him? This guy in North Korea? Everybody seen him? He didn't like it because the guy didn't clap long enough. Had him executed. That means every time he walks around, I'm going. (laughs) Right? Because if not, you're getting shot. Is that normal behavior? No, that's crazy pants. He put on his crazy pants that morning. That's weird. Or, get this, could it be motivated by something else other than just him? Look what it says here, verse 3. And and notice this also. Notice that this is God's exhortation to these small g gods about what they're ruling over because they're not doing a good job judging their provinces. Notice this is his heart for what he desires to see in those provinces that, that they're ruling over. Notice it says here, defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. If a politician could do that, we could actually get behind them. Because we would say these are all great things. They all line up with truth. They all represent God faithfully. And this is God's heart for what he wants to see manifested on the sinful world. Now notice it goes on. Here is Yahweh's evaluation of them. That was his exhortation, but here's his evaluation. Look what it says, verse 5. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. Now, does that mean that the world's going to crumble? No, here's what it means. It means because these little G-gods have been given a commissioning, a responsibility to govern correctly over these certain nations and armies and countries of the world, and they're not doing well. It is bringing a volatile state to existence. Does that make sense? Now, notice that doesn't mean that Yahweh is not all-powerful. Notice that's not what it means. It means that the personal responsibility placed upon these beings and because they are governing wrongly is going to bring about corruption and destruction. Now pause for a second. That's not any different than how you and I live. When we're doing goofy wrong things, we know that it's right around the corner we're going to get dealt with. It's no different. So notice it says here, verse 6, I said, you, and that's in the plural, you are God's. And all of you are children of the Most High. The ESV says sons of the Most High. Now, notice, that's not any different from what we see sons of God. And we saw that representing angels. Why does the word Most High get used here? El Elyon in the Hebrew, it means the Most High God. No one over him. Why is he declared as the Most High God? And we learn more about his name as Scripture goes on. The reason is, is because there's all these little G gods, Elohim, small e, Elohim, that are running around everywhere having governance over things. And they're all answerable to him as their ultimate judge. So in doing that, notice, I said you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. Verse 7, here is his judgment that he pronounces. But you shall die like men. Pause. You know what that tells me? It tells me these little g-gods are not men. It's not people. They're not human beings. He's saying because you have tarnished your responsibility in judging the nations of the world, you will die like a common man will. 
Now that had to be extremely desecrating for an angel who is a very different being, who is a very different type of creation. And notice, you will die just like a man will. He says here, and fall like one of the princes. And here's what it says. Here's the culmination. Verse 8, arise, O God, judge the earth. For you, that's singular, so we know it goes with most high God, shall inherit all nations. Now, don't all the nations already belong to God? So why would he inherit them all? What does inheritance have to do with it? Inheritance has to do with someone receiving something for a performance well done. Is he sovereign in the fact that he rules over all things? We all agree with that, right? Yes. But does he allow his creatures to have freedom within those realms to make choices of right and wrong? Man, you can't get outside of the Bible without seeing that. It's everywhere. Notice that doesn't just pertain to people. It also pertains to angels, not just the natural, but the supernatural. And all of it is the totality of reality. Everybody with me? They're going to be held accountable, how they govern. Now, this shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't. I imagine it does right now. Right now, you're thinking, what in the world just happened? Okay? Read the psalm again. Get the paper out there. Look through Deuteronomy 32, verses 8 and 9, I believe it is. And, and, and put all that together, and you will see that this is a reoccurring theme. Let me ask you a question. For those people, Christians, who are faithful in this life and run the race well and finish in such a way as to win the prize, will you have a ruling and reigning position in the coming kingdom? Yes, you will. Has God given you a responsibility to steward yourself and the gift that he's given you right now well so that it leads to that future glory? Has he done that now? Yes, yeah, so notice it's not any different in how he chooses to work with us now. As he does, he wants to work with angels, different beings. Everybody see how that works? Okay. How many times, is that the first time you've heard that? Raise your hand. Okay, good. So everybody's got homework to do this week. That's good. Lots of studying. Good. So here's what I want you to see. In fact, I had to write it down. God speaks. God wants you to know him. He doesn't just want you to know him. He wants you to know how he has created, what he has created, what he has orchestrated, what he has put into motion. The responsibility that he gives and the freedom that he gives in that responsibility. He also wants us to realize, especially here with angels, that they are accountable for handling their things wrongly. Does everybody see that? Why do we need to know all this? Why does all this matter? You can tell a lot about a craftsman by what he crafts. How many people have watched American Idol in the past? Okay. Now we got America's Got Talent. What are the other shows? The Voice. What else? Nobody here watches, everybody's too spiritual to watch TV. Is that what's going on? What is it? What is it? What are some other, those talent shows? What is it? Dance? What is the other one? The World Events? Dancing with the Stars? Be honest. How many people have seen those shows? Number one. Okay, you're not, you're saved. Okay. Be honest. Your favorite part of those shows is the auditions, isn't it? You see, everybody's like, and you know what I'm talking about. Because you have that person that comes in. 
What are you going to be singing for us today? Sweet Love by Anita Baker. All my heart, I love you, baby. Okay, stop. Enough. Right? And they cut it. And why did they cut it? Because it was atrocious. And, and you got to have Simon up there, right? Because he's the bad guy. Sweetheart, that was the most awful thing I've ever heard in my life. I will never be able to unhear that even in my dreams. Thank you for destroying my week, right? And she's on the verge of tears and she's crying. Why? But my grandma told me I have the voice of an angel. And what does Simon say? Your grandma's tone deaf, right? She didn't have her hearing aids in at that time. She must have been somewhere else telling you that. Because nobody likes to deal with the reality of the situation. It's awful. God's not like that. God wants you to know the reality of the situation. The better you know and understand not just the spiritual realm, but your enemies that are against you. And trust me, there are many. God has many enemies. And because you are his and you are in Christ, if you have believed in him, you are very much a number one enemy of God or of, of Satan. Trust me, you are. Well, I don't believe that. Well, I don't see it. You can't see it. They never come right up and go, your day's going to be bad. They never do that. Deceit is always subtle and it always threads like a snake in the grass and it bites you when you least expect it. God wants us to know the realities of this, not just the natural, the supernatural. And you can't know 100% reality until you have both sides. Everybody with me? Okay, notice he wants his kids to be knowledgeable. He wants us to know a lot about him by the magnificence of his creation. Wonderful, wonderful things. Let's pray. Father God, this concept is new to a lot of us. Help us understand, Lord, why you've seen fit to designate these responsibilities in such a way that, God, you do stand supreme as creator and sovereign over all these things. And just as we will be, all of, all of your angelic creation is answerable to you as well. Father, to think about how when you created and angels worshipped, they praised you for it. To think about, God, how in beauty and splendor, even the adversary against you was created in beauty. The Father, your handiwork is marvelous. The Lord, you are an amazing artist. The Father, all that you do screams of excellence. Father, I'm sure there's a lot of things we can think of right now of corruption. We, we think about demons. We think about Satan. We think about all of these things that initially you created good, but of themselves have corrupted themselves. God, maybe that rings true with us today in ways that we've corrupted ourselves. I thank you, God, that there is no closed door at the cross that if we have sin, we can confess that to you. That your word has said you are faithful and just to forgive us of that sin and you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, maybe that's what we need today. So help us, Lord, in the comprehension of your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.